Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to The Moon Underwater. This is part two of Dan Snow's travails and traversations through the mind of his own dream pub. But before we left, we'd been set five questions by Robin Allender, and Dan Snow had said, I will get 100%. <laughs> I love the confidence. So maybe it's up to Dan to give us the answers. Sure. Well, let's see. Well, I'll go to John first for each of these then. So, John, 1520, what are you saying? Um, I think it's the one before Henry VIII, but I've gone Henry VIII. Well done. Yes, Dan's confidently <laughs> marking, and it is Henry VIII, who was 1509 to, do you know, the, do you know his numbers? Dan? Uh, no, 45, 47, 46? 47. Very close. Very good. 1553, John. It was action-packed. Elizabeth I. No. Dan? No, her, her, big, her big sister took over in 1553. Mm. Uh, Mary, bloody Mary. Mary the first. Yeah, there was actually three on the throne in that uh, year. Yeah, yeah, you get Lady Jane Grey mm. and you get uh, Edward VI Brilliant. as well, her, her younger brother. Full yeah. house. So could we have had any of those? Well, I, I want, yeah, I wanted, I wanted all, if possible. I mean, let's get into it. I mean, I think Lady Jane Grey would have been a controversial answer. Sure. Uh, she's on the Wikipedia page, clear. so not sure. <laughs> she's, listed, she's listed as a monarch, is she? I, yeah. Oh, no, I think, I think there, is, there might be a subheading controversy, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd get. I, 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 listen, in a pub, you'd get if you put that down, you'd get the point. Uh, Edward the Sixth named Lady Grain J or Shady Grain, Shady Lane, if you're a pavement fan, as his heir in his will, overruling the order of succession laid down by Parliament in the Third Succession Act. Four days after his death on the sixth of July, Jane was proclaimed Queen, the first of three Tudor women to be proclaimed Queen. Nine days after the proclamation, the Privy Council switched allegiance and proclaimed Edward VI Catholic half-sister Mary Queen, and Jane was executed for treason. God, what a shit business. Harsh. Yeah, extremely. Rob, you did your first ever unintentional spoonerism then. What did I say? You said Lady Grain Jane. <laughs> I was trying to say Shady Lane Grey, like the pavement, but it, was, it didn't really go very well. Anyway, let's move on. 1650, John, what are you saying? I've gone Charles the First, but that's a load of rubbish. Okay, Dan, do you want to jump in? Uh, well, it's a bit. Uh, it's a. It's a sort of trick question. This. Right? Mm. Y- yes. <laughs> in in that it's um it was sort of it was sort of nobody. It was yes. Oliver Cromwell. Yeah. Yeah. Interregnum years. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, Hate trick questions. <laughs> I mean, you've chosen really hard years. I know they are basically. quite hard years. I was watching Only Connect, and I thought, oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> 1835, John. Uh, I've gone Edward the Seventh. 
William. Sorry. Ah, William. Edward the Seventh. Crikey. No, I've got a mistake. I've got my coins mixed it's up. It's the least famous modern, like, yeah. modern king. I've never even heard William of him. William IV. William IV. Sailor Bill. Right. He has some of the nicest coins. <laughs> I bet he does. Yeah. <laughs> some of the yeah. nicest coins. <laughs> no, his farthings have got some beautiful patinas, and they're quite affordable. Class. This is first-class content. Uh, John, what about 1936? Try and do... So there's more than one, if you can do... Well, if we're talking coins, if we're talking coins, this is the ultimate king of coins. It's Edward VIII. And and, and who else was would, would have been monarch in that year? George... George the Sixth? Yep. After. And... Oh, I don't know the third. No, no, no. So, yeah... You were right, yeah. Dan, do you want to... You were right. You're George V. You're yeah. almost right. Yeah. George V, Edward VIII, George VI. Mm. Uh, because um, Edward VIII's coins were minted, but they were never in circulation, so his threepenny so bits... Cool. I didn't know that. Oh, his threepenny <laughs> bits. If I could have my hands on an Edward VIII threepenny bit, yeah. or a 1933 penny, the rarest penny, this was a cracking age for rare yeah. coins. Yeah, sure. God. A lot going on in the 30s, wasn't there? Um you know, not least in coins. But yeah, very good, Dan. You did get 100%. That was quite extraordinary. Well, I, do you know what, though? It's, I couldn't, I mean, I, you know, it's just what the, you asked the one area in which I've spent 20 years. Yeah, this crap. that was great. <laughs> did you ever have one of those wooden rulers at school with all the rulers? Of course I did. Yeah. Of course yeah. I did. Yeah, the wooden ruler. Yeah. The ruler of rulers. Brilliant. Great. That was a good quiz. Thank you. First class knowledge uh, and insight there from Dan. Uh, but Dan, we move back to your pub, which has got crumbling beams and it's dark as hell and old as time. It's very mystical. It's like a pit into the past with a little bit of World War Two graffiti knocking around from those Toms and Jerry's. But what spirit, what spirits, should I say, haunt this pub? What two spirits are you going to have? I mean, I just don't drink many. I mean, well, I say that. <laughs> I do. I love a gin. I love a gin. Um, I'll take a. I'll ta- and nowadays, it's a gin. Every bloody every postcode has got its own gin distillery. So I'll take a gin, and I'll take an Isle of Wight gin because it's across from me and it's delicious. Mix it up with a little little fever tree, and then I will. Pr- then it's got to be a whiskey. It's got to be a Scotch. It's got to be a, a Glenmorangie Portwood finish. I think. Ooh. When I was a kid. I, I worked in Canada, and I was 18, 19, 20. I cleaned toilets and chambermaids in a, in a lodge in the mountains in Canada. And the owner of the lodge, his project was to make me like whiskey. And you know, when you're young, you don't really like whiskey. You know? So he just would give me a little sip every night. And, uh, you know, that sort of lovely paternalistic, in that lovely paternalistic way, got me addicted to whiskey. So great. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was it was always Glenmorangie. Port would finish. So they pour the Glenmorangie into a barrel that once contained port. And um, I haven't looked back ever since, really. So yeah, at the end of the night, I like to try and have a couple of them just to really ruin my sleep patterns and uh, send me you know, absolutely torched the following day. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird, that nightcap idea, isn't it? It's like... You know, let's give myself heartburn and terrible dreams and a big hangover in the morning. But, you know, I love it. <laughs> heartburn and terrible dreams would be a good name for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Mm. 
you've got your Isle of Wight gin, you've got your Glenmorangie Portwood Cask Edition. Mm, that sounds fantastic. We're going to need something for you to read in this dream pub of the mind, so we head on over to the pub library for Robin to add this week's publy tome. Thanks, John. Um, so, yeah, every week... I add a new book into the pub library, and appropriately enough, it is a historical book this time, and it is Dublin, Pub Life and Law, An Oral History by Kevin C. Kearns, which is a book John actually got and gave to me. (laughs) But it is absolutely brilliant because it is um, a social history, and as you said at the start, it, it covers so much of that kind of exchange of ideas and of the value and community value of uh, pubs in Dublin. Um... And yeah, I was just before I read the extract, which is a brilliant extract. Uh, there's a on the previous monthly episode, I mentioned a pub in Dublin called the Cobblestone, which I'd very much like to visit. Um, which is a, a fantastic uh, venue for folk music in Dublin, and that's actually under threat of closure uh, because people have, uh, have want to turn it into a block of flats or whatever it was. So there is a petition out there. I'm not sure when this podcast will go out, but do Google the Cobblestone petition to try and keep that going. Anyway, so this is from Dublin Pub Life and Law, and the chapter heading is called The Pintman and His Pint. The Pintman is one of Dublin's great legendary figures. His origins are as deep as those of the drinking house itself. It has been theorised that great Pintmen are born, not made, a sort of gift of the genes. Famous pint men are a part of every pub's folklore. They are esteemed by pub mates as the expert pint drinkers, set apart from the plebeians by their discerning... D- plebeians? How do you say that word? Plebeians? Yeah, yeah plebeians. Keep going. <laughs> set apart from the plebeians by their discerning manner and technique. To Tom Corkery, bona fide pint men are a special breed distinguishable by their cerebral approach to the pint. The true pintman knows that the pint is to be contemplated as well as to be drunk. He does not even need to be in company, for his pint is his company. <laughs> if, you stu- <laughs> if you study the good pintman in a pub, you will observe how he can stand. No pucker pintman ever sits, staring into his glass for long periods, thinking deep thoughts. This is because he knows that truth lies at the bottom of his glass. It is rewarding to the body, soothing to the soul, and leads one into long, pleasant, and philosophic conversations. This, then, is pintmanship in the true sense. What an incredible passage there. Need, need, I would love to share that if you could post that in a written form. Sure, yeah, I will do, yeah. It's fant- It's really, really great book. I'm sorry for laughing, it's almost just the... I mean, it's almost too good. <laughs> it's almost too good, it is almost too good. I, I heard a story once that Cork was made sort of European city of culture, and usually European city culture, I remember Liverpool a few years ago or whatever, they sort of just shut vast amounts of money at it and just put like big sort of things, signs everywhere. And apparently, apparently, the story I was told when I was in Cork, but in a pub, so it's probably not true. So I was told was that Cork did nothing, didn't change the thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 we are, yeah. <laughs> Come to Cork, walk down the street, go into a pub, there'll be someone playing a fiddle, someone chatting about poetry, Someone doing a little acting in the corner, you have a nice time, go home. It's, I just loved it. I love that. It's a great concept, yeah. I don't know if you've read that that specific book, Dan, but it's also fantastic on the sort of the history of the pub that wasn't a pub. And because so many, as you were talking about that place in Wales, so many homes essentially sort of doubled as shabines or kips. 
And there was a point in Dublin's history where one in four dwellings sold alcohol of some description, but also about the history of, of gender and the pub and sort of when women weren't and were allowed in pubs and sort of how there was this sort of strange unwritten rule that old women were allowed in pubs because they had sort of lost their womanliness and and girls were allowed in to get to sort of take away porters and stouts to take back to the women who were working in the houses it's very interesting i mean a, an awful time to have been a woman um an awful time to have been anyone in in some respects but a very difficult and hard life but the pub was sort of a, had played a part in all these elements of that very difficult life in sort of late Victorian, early 19th century Ireland. Uh, But a great addition to the pub library, Robin. Uh, We also here, Dan, don't just have a pub library, but we have a pub jukebox. Given that you're probably listening to music from, I would say, 11th century to present day, are you listening to sort of... (laughs) I I actually am not a big, I'm not a big musicologist. I wish I was. But actually, can I say one thing on the book quickly, which is so nice to have a book in a pub and... We all need to reinforce the positive stereotype of a man sitting alone in the pub with a pint reading a book. And I've tried to do it more recently when I'm away working. I don't want to be on my phone. Go to the pub and read and there's a, just have that confidence. And that. And my dad got very ill a few years ago and I'd go and see him in the hospital every day. And on the way home, because I lived with housemates, I was in my 20s and I had a sort of mad house for the, you know, fellow bachelors. And every day on the way back from hospital, I would go to the pub and I'd read and have a pint and I got into this routine to sort of de- de- sort of move from the hospital space to back to my sort of normal life, and it was the, and it was it was the most therapeutic and amazing thing I've ever done since that day. I've always tried to to just not be embarrassed if I'm alone in a pub or or reading in public. You know, just go there, get a pint, pull up a book, and just kick back. And it's a very very special thing. A sort of almost like a decompression moment. Totally, totally. I mean, it also, should, you know, it's unfortunately more difficult for women to do that, but it, sh- you know, it should be encouraged. You know, we had a, read out a great tweet from a friend, Kate, who said she's just found the confidence to do that, to go and, uh, you know, drink in a pub on her own, you know. And Yeah, I, I very rarely, I, I, you're absolutely right. In in my immediate experience, it's, it's um, my wife absolutely loves pubs, spend more time than I do. And my older sister is a pub hound as well. So, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. In my sort of... Um, so, but you're right. But of course, that's right, and and that's really important. I think also a crossword is a good thing to take to a pub because for pint one or two, it's not it's not as involving as a book necessarily. You can sort of look away from it. You can think, let your mind wander. Um, but until you you're too far gone, that it's um, quite a nice it's quite a nice sight. Someone doing a crossword in a oh, yeah. in a sunlit booth by a big window. So, but we do have a jukebox. Sadly, going to ruin your experience if you're there drink, uh, drinking a pint and reading a book. Unless, Dan, unless it's the perfect album to have on in a pub, what would you add to the Moon Underwater jukebox? You know, a pub can be a place of contemplation. It can be a place of riot. It can be a place of recovery. Right. So, I, it's very hard with music. Any, so many albums. So many. I mean, I, you know. Some nights I, I'm not even averse to little dance music if that's what if that's what's the vibe. But a true, but really, it's not that often in a proper pub you're going to get that. So I, I think I'm going to hark back to my formative years, which is the '90s, which I was in a lot of pubs, and then it was like a precursor to going out. It was a very it was a very social, very social thing. High energy pubs, 
And I've got to say, it had to be Oasis. It would have to be. I knew this was leading to Oasis. <laughs> you teed it up with it. A... I'm a sort of 1990s rugger bugger who just <laughs> listens to Oasis. So I, yeah, I can't, you know. But I, I'm sort of comfortable with that now. But yeah, definitely, maybe I think I would, I would have that. And I, I just you hear that come on the pub, and you just think this is. And, and they love going to pubs, right? The Gallagher brothers loved being in the pub. There's a purity to it. Well, there's a, it's a, such, there's an interesting fact about Be Here Now, which is, I don't know if you know about like the loudness wars with music, where kind of over time music has been mastered that much more louder and it's kind of becoming more squashed and compressed and everything. And Be Here Now was kind of one of the first things that was just so loud. And it was basically mastered so that it could be heard in a busy pub. <laughs> which is so i'm one of the few people on earth who loves be here now really I, and, and i remember yeah i love it and I, everyone goes oh they were full of cocaine i'm like what i don't know what you're on about they were full of everything the whole goddamn time and it's got its moments it's got its moments stand by me i don't yeah I, listen we're in a pub we're able to share these things and i'm gonna share that i, I like be here now what, is that gonna be in your jukebox or is it gonna no, be no, no, no 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 god no, no. <laughs> God, God, no. What were you saying? Definitely, maybe, or or morning glory? Yeah, definitely, maybe. Definitely, yeah. maybe. Yes. Yeah, definitely maybe, yeah. Yeah. Slide, slide away. When you hear slide away, when I hear slide away in a pub now, I weep. I, I weep. My door, my door's like over the spilt lemonade and the sort of fish and chips on a Sunday afternoon. She's like, "Daddy, why are you crying?" I'm like, "It's nothing. It's just." Dan Snow admits to crying at Oasis and hates Stonehenge. Are the headlines. <laughs> well, hang, hang on. Dan, one of the producers of this podcast has the lyrics to Slide Away uh, embroidered under the collar of his wedding suit. Right, okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, He's also got a tattoo of a bee uh, to represent Manchester. Oh, I thought that would be Napoleon Bonaparte's claim to the throne of France. Maybe I don't really want to know How your garden grows Cause I just want to fly Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So definitely maybe is blaring out in this pub as old as time. And it would make an odd contrast for a pub dating back to Roman times to stretch right until the Britpop era. Uh, but that's the great thing about pubs. Well, no, I, no. Interestingly, it's the oak. If you use so, is, there's a door in Westminster Abbey which is about eleven, about a thousand years old, and it's made from very mature oak. Which, if you think about it, could have been those oaks could have been saplings when the Romans left Britain. So that the oak in the pub, you're building it in the middle, you're building it 800 years ago, you're using oak, seasoned oak, maybe it's been recycled. It's not inconceivable. When the oak was a living little sapling, it could have been, you know, 400 AD. Not impossible. Incredible. You you love oak, don't you? Of course, man. <laughs> well, most pubs are called the Royal Oak. You know, the Royal Oak's a big pub name, isn't it? And I bet you can tell us why they're called the Royal Oak. Yeah, of course I can. Because as you know, you guys know, it's Charles II hid in an oak tree when he was escaping from the Battle of Worcester, when he was defeated by Oliver Cromwell, and he hid in a tree. And it became known as the Royal Oak, and it was this very celebrated story of how Charles II escaped over several weeks and made it to France and ended up coming back, obviously, as king. And the Royal Oak became such a tourist attraction that it was chopped down. The unbelievably stupid landowner chopped the oak down because he was so busy, pissed off with everyone coming over his land. There are, there are oaks around the country now which are what they call when they get a cutting of a tree and stick it in a pot. Anyway, so the, the, the Royal Oak's kids are still around, but we lost the Royal Oak only 150 years ago. It's the mature Victoria period. Some absolute goon did that. Yeah, I know. It's amazing the decisions people make with stuff that we now think is a historical artefact. Like a lot happens with buildings a lot. Yeah, yeah. And the cobblestone in Dublin, for instance. And the cobblestone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this, this Royal Oak guy, this farmer, he was worrying about his sheep grazing. Like he's now, him and his kids will be living on Easy Street for the rest of eternity because you just have a little, have the Royal Oak, little car park, serve a, serve a whole little brewery, little microbrewery, the original Royal Oak beer, blah, blah, blah. I mean, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> How did it become a pub name though, from the tree? Because the pubs, because pubs were, if you think about the Prince of Prussia, you think about the Cumberland, they they, they were drawn, they were very political. They, were, they often were drawn from... What was going on in the news at the time, and so so the Royal Oak would have been this right sort of, you know, the Royal Charles. I'm trying to think, the King's Head. They were the memes of their day. Is that what you're saying? They or? were the memes of the day, yeah. And so you'd start a pub and you'd call it the Prince of, yeah, the Prince of, yeah. I say the Prince of Prussia is a good one that's gone now. There's at the Alma, there were quite a lot of Crimean War ones. It's fascinating when you see a pub and no one's got a clue what you know what where they where they come from. But they would have been memes. They would have been famous things talked about at the time. And Holding the Wall is an interesting one, isn't it? There's quite a few pubs yeah, called that. I wonder that. where that comes from. I don't. Yeah, you're right. I don't know where that. I mean, comes I should from. now. I brought it up. I really should know. <laughs> but hole in the wall in Bristol. The second, the second brilliant anecdote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's see if I can find it in my my mind. Name origin, named after a spy hole that enabled 18th century sailors and smugglers to keep watch for customs men and press gangs. So there you go. I guess pubs would have, if they existed in that space between. 
you wouldn't have to pay a tariff coming into a town. So if you could sort of get a, a hole in the wall where a pub could be entered from outside without having to come in through the gate, maybe that was good. Maybe that was a sort of funny way. That was a way of avoiding duties, maybe. So what does, because the, there's a pub in Bristol, Robin and I love, called the Alma Tavern. What's that? What's Alma a reference to? Battle of the Alma. Um, amazing ah. battle in the Crimean War. Uh, you know, like that's about outside Sebastopol um, in the Crimea. And, you know, again, very popular, very because of news, because the first of Crimean War is the first kind of where there's almost instant news coverage. So very, very meme as you say, very lots of people talking about it. You know, and they would have replaced earlier pub names. You know, there would have been lots of Waterloo's and, and Wellington's, the Duke's Head would have been probably quite Wellington-y. You don't get many balaclavas. I wonder why you get particularly get Almas, I don't know. It wasn't even a particularly famous battle in the Crimean War, but it's just a, it's just one of the many. And um, yeah, several pubs called Alma I've been to. Well, it's interesting to see the pub as almost like the sort of, it, the pub name as like the headline of its time. And you can sort of track news stories and public events and what was in the public consciousness by what pubs were called. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you see a Duke of Cambridge, which was probably referring to Queen Victoria's son, I quite like it when, in a way, they modernise it and stick a picture of Prince William on there because actually that's probably true to the original tradition of naming pubs that you would have when when the new king came on the throne you'd call it you'd call it the royal charles or the, the charles or something like that and you know or, you know when someone takes over from someone else i mean there was i think there was a pub in bristol the victoria that had a, a the pub sign that had a posh spice on it at one point and you know maybe that's yeah but i think see, i think that's quite cool yeah, and now that yeah. would change because yeah. who's ever heard of bloody posh spice <laughs> We are one choice away from completing the lineup in your bar. Uh, you've so far got Ringwood Brewery 49er, Ringwood Boondoggle 4.9 and 4.2% respectively. They're on draft. In the bottles, you've got Punk IPA 5.6%. And then things get really messy with the Vibrant Forest Stygian Abyss at 11.5%. That really will take you into a Stygian Abyss. You've got Isle of Wight Gin and Glenmorangie Portwood cask edition whilst oasis blares out or not necessarily blaring out it can just play out at a, at a reasonable volume on the jukebox but what's your final drink choice this is your wild card well um i could have a cider i could have a, if it's a lovely if it's a wintry day i might have a glass of wine maybe so i could get, i could get a lebanese red a messiah red from the wow. Bekaa valley Ooh, which i um which i've drunk i drank a lot when i was in lebanon the wines of Lebanon and memories attached to a drink. So tell me about your time in Lebanon and this specific Lebanese red. I had a really terrible idea, which was um, to sort of fit. I could, I, because you know, I, I'm not an academic historian. I was always very aware of that, and I was always keen to emphasise. I'm not. I'm a broadcaster. I'm a sort of. And I come from a family of journalists, but I love history. I, I always believed I could fit somewhere in the middle between journalism and history. That's kind of been what I'm attempting to do with my career. No one's sort of noticed, but that's what I've sort of tried to do. And so I, I had a um, idea that I, what, what one area in which people do find history fascinating is when there's a modern, a modern, modern place where history is obviously really important because the modern place is a complete catastrophe, like Haiti or Congo or Syria or Rwanda during the genocide. You know why are those why are those places locked in war, conflict, genocide? Well, because it's things that have happened in the past. Something's led them to that point, right? And so. I had this, and everyone said shut up and ignored it. I tried to go to Afghanistan for BBC, that was turned down. 
And just had my first kid, I thought, do you know what I want to actually do now is go and look around Welsh castles in a tweed jacket. And just had my first kid, he couldn't have made it up. The time at the BBC went, hey, you know that idea about you going to war zones? That's a great idea. Let's, Syria, civil, Syrian civil war has just broken out. Go to Syria. And to get to Syria, you had to go via, either smuggled in through the north or from Turkey, or you get in through Lebanon and drive up to Damascus that way. So my so we did some filming in Lebanon with Sunni groups who were recruiting for the rebel groups in Syria just across the border, and we'd go up to the border and we'd knock about there in the Bekaa Valley and we'd meet scary people and crazy, you know, very, very hardline Salafist preachers who were advocating getting rid of Assad off, off the off the you know getting rid of him from from power in Syria. So we're meeting scary people, doing scary things, going to scary places, and then going into Syria and delting out and darting back into Syria. In war, my first time in a war zone, and I just remember drinking a lot of Messiah red wine, a lot of of red wine when we get back. And I guess the perfect climate for for red wine in that area but perhaps not as well known outside of the region as, as as it should be. So you're you're host of the History Hit podcast. Tell us about that and um, History Hit TV. Well, uh, I'm very lucky, like you guys, like everyone looking to, if you're a broadcaster or a writer or a creative person, you want to try and use these digital revolution we've been part of to, tr- to, to, to support yourself, to sustain yourself, to go, have some agency yourself. So rather than wait to be told where to go by the BBC or in, in some cases ne- waiting for that phone never to ring, you know. I, I got out and started a podcast. I interview historians, I interview politicians, I interview celebrities, whatever, it's the same as everyone else. But, um, with a, you know, it's all about history. It's um, everything that's ever happened to anyone who's ever lived. So it's pretty broad canvas. We go back to ancient Egypt. We go Stone Age. We go up to the modern world. We asked Tony Blair why he invaded Iraq and all that kind of stuff. So it's you know, it's it's going pretty well. I'm very lucky with that, and, and it's self-sustaining. And I, I can't believe my luck, in fact. And then, and then I start a video channel off the back of it, and a gigantic act of hubris, which is a, a a subscription channel. So like Netflix, but just for history, we make history documentaries, and it's going well too. So I'm I'm in I'm having the time of my life at the moment. Weirdly, I'm very very lucky, and my, I'm my own boss, which is the dream. So are you able in sort of um, brainstorming meetings to go? Dan, I've got an idea about the history of Barbadian beaches. That's a great idea, Dan. Let's make it. How much do I need? You need 500k, first class tickets, done, deal. It's going to be a hit. We are a bit resource constrained. I mean, that's the only thing, John. But I mean, no, I mean, we're, we're less so. And so, yeah, we're looking next spring. I'm genuinely going to a pub in a week's time. And I'm going to talk with my team and a historian about, shall we go to the South Pacific, to an island, to look at an amazing... World War Two battlefield, and it's just a tropical island. And that conversation Ooh. is going to happen, and we have got the budget for that if we want to do it. Whoa. So oh. I, I can't I have to pinch myself. It is going. It's going really well. You're going to get there, and they'll like go. Actually, Dan, not very much happened here. Shh. This is very significant <laughs> in the history of the war. Yeah. <laughs> well, do check out uh, History Hit TV, and also Dan's podcast, The History Hit which is everything that's ever happened to anyone who's ever been alive. An incredible remit uh, for a podcast, but that's the freedom that podcasts give you. You're barred. Now, Dan, you've described your pub as a place of contemplation, riot and recovery, or you've described the pub as a place of contemplation, riot and recovery. But there must be something you don't want to happen in your pub. So what are you going to bar 
I think you guys know, surely everyone says this, but I think screens, isn't it, unfortunately? It's all screens, large and small. It's a, oh, that's interesting, large and small. Yeah. And I'm the worst offender, but I, I think if let's, let's, look, we're going for perfectionists, let's ban screens large and small. Because it's impossible not to look at a screen, even if you have no interest in the sport it's showing. Yep. Hurry up, please, it's time. Well, we have enjoyed stocking uh, your dream pub of the mind, where it's dark as hell and the mother of all fires illuminates beams blackened with fire and fags. And there's World War II graffiti in this place of contemplation, riot and recovery. But we can't let you go and take it with you until it has a name. So, Dan Snow, what are you going to call this incredible pub? I want it to have a nod to a traditional pub name like I, I think like calling everything like the cock womble and waffle is a bit like it's a bit mm. too ironic for me mm-hmm. right um so i think i want to give it a sort of traditional historic name a name rooted in history uh but one that is one that has a, one that has a, it means other things as well and therefore i want to call it the victory because going to the pub is a little victory, a little daily victory for us all. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and nice! It, and it can have on the pub sign. It can have HMS Victory, which is the most extraordinary object on planet Earth, Nelson's flagship at Trafalgar, the single most complex man-made object on planet Earth at that time, and still there today to be seen. So it's deeply historic. It connects you with the sea, with history, uh, but also the name. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go and have a pint in the Victory. That's really nice. It's a great name for a pub, great name for a ship. And we wish you fair sailing with your pub of the mind, the victory. We now bestow it upon you uh, to keep wherever you may be, whether it's in the South Pacific uh, or in Southampton. And to play you out, I think it's only fitting that we have the song from your album that makes you weep genuine tears. (laughs) It's Slide Away from Definitely Maybe by Oasis. There he goes, oh Dan, fare ye well on that chariot, so splendid. Uh, The chariot pulled up about 10 minutes ago and is more than happy to wait for Dan. Uh, Obviously puts the meter on, that's fair. And uh, yes, the chariot has now taken off, taken off into the night sky with Dan swirling many historical items that he takes with him uh, around the realms. And next week, we're delighted that we are joined by comedian actor, pubsman numero one, and presenter of another podcast, The Socially Distant Sports Bar. That's right. It's my favourite Welshman, Mike Bubbins, uh, who joins us. So don't miss that episode, which is next up. And a reminder, as always, you can support us. You can give us nourishment and succour by heading to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod for very many bonus items. Bye-bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.